Drabblecast, episode 232. The Drabblecast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Happy Valentine's Day, folks. We got a couple unusually lovey-dovey stories for you this week, but first, you know what February means for us here on the Drabblecast? It's the fifth annual Drabblecast People's Choice Awards. We do this every year. It's a way for us all to honor those writers and artists that you listeners thought did superlative work last year. For the next two weeks, we'll be taking nominations in our discussion forums for your top five favorite feature stories, cover images, and 100-word Drabble stories. After that, we narrow it down to the top five agreed upon in each category, and we have our final round in which you vote once in a poll for your single most favorite. Again, the categories are Best Episode Art, Best Drabble, and the big one, Best Story. Winner of Best Story gets the much-coveted Drabblecast Sacred Chalice of Glory to place on their mantle or sip hearty libations from. Eligible stories and images fall between episodes 196 to 231. You'll find a full list of stories, Drabbles, and images in our discussion forums, linked off Drabblecast.org. So what are you waiting for? Get on over there and check them out. Nominate your fave five. We'll let you know in a couple weeks when round two starts up and you can go over and get your vote on. For now, though, it's 100-word story time. This week's Drabble comes to us from Lauren Eaton, and it's called Each Heart Has Its Reason, No Matter How Still. Lauren lives in South Florida with his wife and children. When not working or studying for his master's degree, he spends his free time writing and explaining to the little ones how a self-aware automaton like Thomas the Train would really be useful for world conquest. His fictions appeared in anthologies like Grim Tales and Discount Noir, and he's a story forthcoming in Needle, a magazine of noir. Check out his blog at isawlightningfall.com. Hair in the bathroom sink, muddy footprints on the tile, a mirror smudged and smeared. Tatiana swiped stinging eyes. Papa would have grumbled about feckless foreigners, their family tree's weakened branch, how the old country held many suitable mates. But she'd fallen for Lucas like a body into a grave. Never mind his preoccupations with astronomy, romping monthly in the woods, eating solid food. Tatiana loved him, despite the dictates of her people's prejudice. The bathroom's tiny window framed a harvest moon, fat and full. She grimaced at it, taking a rag to the mirror, which reflected only an empty bathroom. Well, you know what they say, if you truly love someone, you set them on fire. Wait, that's not right. Oh God, what have I done? Anyways, the point is, all you need is love. Lennon and McCartney once said that, presumably on a full stomach. Being in love knocks you off your feet. It takes your breath away and closes up your air passages like horrible, crippling asthma. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to apologize. It's like suddenly we're all white, rich, and male. And that leads us to this week's story, Valentine's Day with the Gods by Jesse Livingston. 
Jesse is a musician, author, and visual artist currently living in Denver, Colorado. His band, The Far Stairs, has been featured on several episodes of Cast Macabre, and recently had a story on the horror podcast, Pseudopod. His first novel, A Thousand Lifetimes in an Hour, will be released soon as a downloadable audiobook. He's available for freelance design work and music composition, and his music and artwork can be found at reconstructionrecords.com. So without further ado, we bring you Valentine's Day with the Gods by Jesse Livingston. I proposed to my sweetheart on Valentine's Day. It was so beautiful. I knelt down in the park in the melting snow, that particular Valentine's Day enjoying unseasonably warm weather, and placed an exquisite ring upon her finger. I had to place it on her middle finger, her ring finger having been lost in an unfortunate mishap with a cleaver. She was the butcher's daughter, you see, and she took her meat very seriously. Her ring finger had been replaced with a rather attractive metal finger, which housed an assortment of useful tools, much in the manner of a Swiss army knife, but which, alas, was not flexible enough to allow me to slip the exquisite finger more than a few centimeters along its length. I suspect that even if I had been able to fully apply the ring to her metal finger, she would have not wished me to, for it most likely would have hindered the articulation of the various miniature screwdrivers, scissors, and deboning implements, which folded so ingeniously from its casing. And so we walked blissfully through the trees and budding bushes in the park, my sweetheart gazing in rapture at the glittering ornament upon her finger, periodically thrusting it upward at passerby to show off her new treasure. The passerby seemed generally shocked. I can only assume they had never before seen a diamond so large and exquisite, although some were clearly appreciative of its beauty. As we walked, my sweetheart and I, the gorgeous strains of Palladio, first movement, began to drift through the trees, just like in the commercials. Shadowy silhouettes kept pace with us, each insubstantial and translucent except for the diamond gleaming on its sinister, i.e. left, hand. There appeared to be more and more of them each minute, and the sky seemed to darken with indistinct gray birds. We soon found it judicious to make our way quickly away from the park into more populated spaces. Strolling along the avenue in the waning light of early evening, we came across an antique cinema house whose marquee stood half-lit like an indecisive signpost in the latter days of an ill-conceived war. The title of the feature read, Little, the rest being lost in the oncoming darkness. We entered the cinema house, my sweetheart and I, and found it deserted. No one manned the ticket window, and no one stood guard at the lobby doors. Popcorn jumped and rattled intermittently in the kettle at the concession stand, as though someone had just nipped away on some brief errand. We entered the theater through the swinging doors, and found it, too, deserted. Row upon row of seats sat empty in an arctic blur of light. We sat near the back, and found special glasses waiting for us in pockets affixed to the back of the seats. Dawning them, we beheld the gigantic image of a white cat in stereoscopic 3D. The cat was apparently sleeping, its great bulk hovering over the empty seats before us like an itinerant specter. We sat for several minutes watching the white cat sleep, then rose to take our leave, as nothing of note seemed likely to occur. 
Back on the avenue, my sweetheart and I, we dallied amongst the shops and public houses, toying gaily with each other's affections and indulging fantasies of our mutual life to come. Rounding a corner on a steeply cobbled road, we found ourselves confronted by a tavern bearing the legend, The Lucky Stoat. As we were both moderately famished, we entered the establishment, and we were greeted by the barkeep, who bade us welcome. "'I do indeed bid you welcome to the fortunate ermine,' he announced, sweeping his hand across the room and picking up two laminated menus from a recessed nook in the bar with the same gesture. As the jolly entrepreneur showed us our table, we noticed several impressive guests scattered throughout the dining room. At the table next to ours reposed what appeared to be a cluster of large coppery bubbles engaged in conversation with a gentleman of great age and fiery disposition. The man's long beard flowed across his chest like a hirsute waterfall and barely avoided ending its journey in his soup. His eyes blazed and his robes glowed with an inner light. I do not know why they summon me, confided the cluster of bubbles in a hissing metallic timbre, when all I do is eat them. It is as though they do not understand what the phrase chaotic principle of the void signifies. I never claim to grant wishes, though they seem to expect me to. I am not some lowly djinn. I am the gate and the key. You take your fortune for granted, rumbled the old gent darkly. I remember a time when I could treat my followers like cattle and they would still adore me. Why, I slaughtered them left and right at my whim. I made the earth shake and the seas boil. I even drowned the entire world once just because I didn't like it. No, you did not, replied the coppery presence. You just wrote a story about it. Being published does not make you better than everyone else. Let us not get carried away here. Behind the elderly potentate appeared a choir of shimmering figures. Perhaps to distract from the conversation, they began to sing. The first go to hell, the angels did say, certain poor bastards on Valentine's Day. On Valentine's Day, the world demands love with a milk chocolate fist in a red tinfoil glove. Go to hell, we do our job well, it ain't who you are, it's what you can sell. On Valentine's Day, when the world demands love with a milk chocolate fist in a red tinfoil glove. My sweetheart and I listened raptly and with great enjoyment. At the end of the performance, we applauded enthusiastically. The shimmering figures appeared pleased, though the old gent with the beard did not. He waved them into smoke with an emphatic dash of his hand. At another table, a huge man in an iron tunic sat humming to himself. He absently stirred a flagon of steaming drink with what looked to be the wooden haft of an axe. In his gigantic hand, it seemed little larger than a pencil. Oh, I come from the land of the ice and snow, he murmured dreamily. Where the hmm 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 and the cold winds blow, the hammer of the gods. Hmm, hmm, hmm. By the window, a cloud of gloom gathered and dispersed vaguely. Flickers of lightning danced within its depths, casting brief shadows which might have been serpents, or perhaps many arms coiling in some obscure gyration. Anyway, I do not know why you complain, continued the coppery bubbles. You are in no danger of running short on followers any time soon. The old gent looked at once flattered and upset. They don't worship me, he replied. They worship some namby-pamby father figure they've conjured up out of thin air. They want a god who loves them all the time. <laughs> Rubbish! That isn't love. That's a greeting card. They want to worship a greeting card. Just take a look at how they celebrate this ridiculous holiday, and you'll learn all you need to know about what they want. 
The barkeep looked uncomfortable as he took our orders. He was clearly well acquainted with this argument. My sweetheart requested the shank of lamb braised in buttered rum and spices. She had nothing if not a healthy appetite. I preferred lighter fare, opting for a sprig of baked parsley. <laughs> what would you know about love? scoffed the bubbles fizzily. You never loved them. You just wanted their adoration to feed your own bloated ego. Poppycock, came the rejoinder. I've shown my love for them so many times. I protected their cities. I forgave their sins. I saved them from raging fire, lions, and giant fish. <laughs> Mammals, said the bubbles. And all of that would be very impressive, were it even slightly true. All you did was write a few stories about your exploits and make sure everyone read them on pain of damnation. Good press is the only reason they even know your name anymore. Ah, I don't know why I waste my time, muttered the old man. If they hadn't sat us alphabetically at the same conference, I never would have even talked to you. Fine, said the spherical one. Go and find someone else willing to listen to your ridiculous self-aggrandizing nonsense. The fiery old gent rose from his place and stormed, literally, out of the room, accompanied by peals of thunder and popping bursts of brilliance. My sweetheart and I felt honored to share the evening with such imposing and high-profile personages. Over supper, we shared many an amusing tale with one another of our lives before we met. Many of hers seemed to concern previous romantic interludes with former suitors, co-workers, housemates, and one or two wayward strangers. I found it easiest, while listening to these narratives, to pretend she was speaking of someone else. An unruly cousin, perhaps. When we had concluded our repast and were enjoying an after-meal libation consisting respectively of a cup of jasmine mint tea and a carafe of elder-flown gin, the cluster of coppery bubbles rotated slightly and addressed us. You seem like an acceptable pair of insects, they said. And unless I miss my guess, very much in love. How do you feel about this ridiculous holiday, as my garrulous friend termed it? Oh, we are in love, I responded. Very much so. Why, this very day we became engaged to be married. Well, burbled the bubbles with what seemed a sulfury smile. That's very exciting for you, I assume. It must signify that you have implicit faith in the power of love to mend all broken things, calm the gibbering fear that haunts the sleepless hours, and silence the howling swaths of light that twist and shudder between the forgotten stars. My sweetheart and I looked at each other, uncertain. Um, yes, I replied. I suppose it does, although I must admit I had not thought of it quite in that way. Put it like this, continued the metallic structure. You are both, I imagine, aware of the suffocating futility of your existence, and I assume you are not deaf to the demon scratchings on the rim of space which herald the approaching end of all you know and all that you could ever know. Therefore, to even consider making long-term plans for your laughably short lives, you must see love as a sturdy balm indeed, for if it is to bring warmth in the endless cold eons, it must be a veritable conflagration of compassion. Um, a tender inferno. Uh, well... <laughs> Do not tell me you have not thought this through. To take such a major step, you must have complete trust and respect for one another. Is it not so? No, we, we certainly, definitely do, I said, taking my sweetheart's hand. I adore my love beyond all measure. She is, as you said, the light of my life. Uh, no, dear, whispered my sweetheart. 
I think he was referring to the light that undulates in serpentine coils around the blasted firmament which shimmers like a diseased river above the icy wastes. The, uh, the icy wastes, I said, taken aback. What icy wastes? <laughs> uh, you know, she replied under her breath, smiling encouragingly at the Byzantine mass. The icy wastes that stretch in ancient frigid splendor across the moon-mad plateau of Lang. Lang? When were you in Lang? I told you about my past. You mean the arcane society? It was a cult, Jim. I was in a cult. You always do this. I thought you meant cult figuratively. Oh, I worshipped horrors from beyond time. If that's too much for you to deal with, then maybe this whole engagement isn't such a good idea. Well, I can see you two have a lot to talk about, hissed the bubbles. I must be going. I'm late for my flute lessons. With a sound like an inverted explosion, they were gone. I stared at the shimmering space above the adjoining table. How does he hold the... He doesn't play flute, Jim. He was just being polite. We sat in silence for several minutes. I sipped my tea desolately. The little uncurling pearls of jasmine seemed less like petite flowers budding in the spring and more like infected polyps spilling their corruption into an uncaring sea. Um, I hear they're making a sequel to that cat movie, my beloved said, trying to tame the wretched stillness. I looked across at her with moist eyes. Oh, my dear, I murmured. Your sweet courage in the face of vacuity always brings me hope. I'm so sorry for doubting you. It's just that I, I don't understand that part of your life. Sometimes I wonder if I'm just being naive to think the world can be a good and decent place. My innocent lamb, she said, taking my hand. It's your very faith and decency and kindness that makes me love you. Your distrust of foreigners is a bit off-putting sometimes, but that's neither here nor there. I don't want that life anymore, cavorting naked around blazing bonfires on lost islands with swarthy priests. It was, it was something I had to try when I was younger, but it didn't fulfill me the way you do. I truly want to believe that, I said. It's just, just that in the future you could refrain from mentioning the swarthy priests. Oh, of course, I'm sorry. We paid our bill and left the tavern. The barkeep bade us good night with a slight bow and a sympathetic smile. We wandered the cold avenues, which now seemed dimmer and more labyrinthine than I had remembered. My beloved took my arm and put her head on my shoulder as we walked. Her warmth gave me a small flicker of hope in the vacant night. We made our way toward the harbor, where the tall ships swayed, buoyed up by dark waves that hid countless fathoms of mystery. Do you really think love is just a shuddering aura above a frozen, trackless expanse? No, darling, of, of course not. But if the, the chittering cosmos, hush, my love, I don't think about that now. I love you, and I, I want to marry you. You're the man for me. Oh, my gorgeous lotus blossom, you are my shining path. The moon watched us as we trudged, brave as ants, into the gloom. And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Yahweh, Yog sothoth alphabetical order. You see what he did there? Anyways, you might not believe in love. You might not believe in love after love or share. You might not believe in God. Statistics show that 20% of the world's mantises are actually atheists or agnostic. But we can all agree on one thing. 
that the most romantic thing anyone can do for anyone else on Valentine's Day is just have a vagina. Just have a vagina, folks. Anyways, that leads us to this week's 100 character TwitFix story winner, Loyal Eagle. Sounds like a nice guy. With this in here. As I leaned in to kiss her moist pink lips, I received a small electric shock. It must have been static from my PC monitor. There it is. Follow us on Twitter at the Treblecast for more of the same. Try writing, it's fun. Go to Treblecast forums, they'll nestle you into their weird hirsute bosoms. That's all for this week. Remember, the Drabblecast is produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Blog about us, write a review on iTunes, spread the weird. Special thanks to this week's awesome episode artist, Gerald Dye, one of my personal favorite episode artists for awesome cover images. Visit him at GeraldDye.com. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, I'm Norm Sherman, reminding you, he doesn't play the flute, Jim. He was just being polite. 